Let's take our Bibles tonight, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Well, if you didn't get it between last Wednesday and Sunday, you know the truth. The struggle is real, right? We have the struggle between the flesh and the spirit. But tonight, I want us to begin talking about some of the practical ways from God's Word that we can begin to win in this battle against the flesh. And so we're going to talk about the most important weapon that we have in our fight against the flesh. And that is known as the sword of the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit. So I was telling some people before uh, the service tonight to be careful. We were going to be handling weapons in the service. Well, these are very, this is a very sharp weapon we're talking about. In fact, the Bible tells us it's even sharper than any two-edged sword. So this is a weapon that needs to be handled with care. This is a weapon that needs to be handled with growing understanding and experience. And so tonight, we're going to talk about this very important weapon, the sword of the Spirit. The Bible says in Ephesians 6 and verse 17, "...and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit..." Let's say that last part together, which is the Word of God. The Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. If you are going to live the Spirit-filled life, you must understand that the Word of God is central to it. A lot of people will say, well, I'm full of the Spirit, but they don't have a clue what the Word of God says. It is God's primary weapon in winning the daily battles of life, the struggle between the flesh and the spirit. So we know the struggle's real. We understand the struggle. We talked about that Sunday. We talked about that last Wednesday. But if we're going to win in this battle, in this struggle, we must employ the weapon that is the sword of the spirit. The word of God is a sword in the spirit's hands. The word sword refers to a weapon of war, right? It was used to fight battles. And this sword would have been a powerful metaphor to the Christians at Ephesus that Paul was writing to when he described the armor of God. Remember in that passage in Ephesians chapter 6, he describes all the different pieces of the armor, but there was only one weapon, right? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. These, Ephesians, these Ephesian Christians would have seen the sword often in the possession of Roman centurions who were ruling that portion of the Roman Empire. And history records some very interesting facts about the Roman sword, and I think we can see those same types of things at work in God's Word as it is our weapon that God has given us to be able to fight back against the flesh. So first of all tonight we want to talk about the power of God's word. We know God's word is the sword. Let's talk about the power of God's word. This sword was a very powerful weapon that was used by the Roman army to fight. And God's word is the powerful weapon that God has given to us to fight against the flesh and against Satan. Number 1 under that letter A The sword is a symbol of power and authority. When a Roman soldier had that sword strapped on his side, it was a symbol of his power and his authority. It was carried 
by those who were in authority and held the weight of justice and rule. It was a symbol of power and strength. Even so, the Word of God is powerful and it represents the authority and strength of Almighty God. It is the highest authority by which we can enter into any spiritual battle. Many people try to fight their spiritual battles in their own strength, the strength of their friends together, whatever. But God's Word is the most powerful weapon that we can employ in the spiritual battle that we have. Hebrews 1.3 says this, "...who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins..." sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. This verse describes the work of Jesus Christ. But did you notice in the middle of that verse, Hebrews 1 verse 3, it says, He upholds all things by the word of His power. Jesus upholds all things by the word of His power. And God has given us His Word recorded for us in Scripture. If the Word of God was the weapon that Jesus Christ Himself used to fight against Satan, then don't you think it'd be good for us to use the Word of God in that battle as well? Oh, how we fail to pick up the weapon that God has given to us, the weapon that Jesus has already demonstrated its use to us in order to defeat the wickedness around us. So the sword is a symbol of power and authority. Let her be there. The sword is an offensive weapon. The sword doesn't work well when you're running away. It works best when you're going into battle, when you're facing the enemy, when you're taking steps forward. Sound familiar? Like our theme this year? Going forward. The sword is used as an offensive weapon. It was to be used to attack an enemy and to penetrate the opposition it was not designed for retreat but for engagement likewise the word of god is to be used as an instrument of aggression and assault against our spiritual enemy the bible says in james 4 7 submit yourselves therefore to god resist the devil and he will flee from you God's Word is our weapon of attack against the wiles of the devil. We all know what it's like to be tempted. We all will know what it's like to struggle with sin. If we're going to win in that battle, if we're going to experience victory, we must employ the powerful Word of God. Letter C. The sword is a one-to-one weapon. It's a one-to-one weapon. It was designed for close combat. Now, the Roman soldiers sometimes would use bows and arrows. Sometimes they used spears. But the Roman sword was a short sword designed for thrusting at close quarters into the enemy. This was not a weapon of mass assault or destruction, but rather one used in personal conflict. God's Word is the Holy Spirit's weapon in your personal, daily battle against the flesh. 
God's Word is there for you to use in that personal battle that you face. It's not just you have to run to somebody else to use their weapon. God's given it to you. You have it with you to use. Letter D, the sword is a piercing weapon. It was designed to penetrate the enemy, to be thrust toward the enemy, and to fend off the attacks of the enemy. It was used to place the enemy in a defensive posture or to cause the enemy to retreat. Even so, the Word of God is designed to be used decisively in spiritual battle. I love that about the Word of God. God's Word is clear. God's Word is focused. God's Word is pointed. God's Word on the important issues of life doesn't leave room for question. It's clear about what is right and what is wrong. Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's Word is powerful. The sword of the Spirit. But I would say... Letter E there in your notes, using the sword requires practice. A lot of people running around with the sword that aren't really able to use it well because they've not practiced with it. The swordsmanship in the Roman Empire was a skill to be learned. And the longer a soldier trained and practiced, the better he became at handling his sword. Winning with the sword requires knowledge, skill, and practice. And in like manner, we are commanded to study God's Word, to search out the Scriptures that we might become skillful in spiritual battle. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. See, God's Word is powerful, but if you're going to use it well, you need to know how to use it. You need to study it. You need to gain understanding. You need to practice with it. Acts 17.11 speaks about the Christians in Berea, and it says these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the Word with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. Wouldn't it be great if, as Christians, instead of just hearing the Word, which is part of it, but then we were careful to go out and search it out for ourselves. So often, even in today's day and age, with technology and things available to us, with all the media around us, we can be great consumers, and some of us are great consumers of God's Word. We're hearing it from all different directions. But are you taking time, then, to search it out for yourselves, whether those things are so? Not because you're trying necessarily to argue or critique or, or, or fight with somebody else who's trying to present the truth, but rather so you can take time to meditate upon it and think upon it and really examine it from every possible angle so that you are better prepared to use it. How well you learn to use the sword of the Spirit will determine your success in daily spiritual battle. So we've talked about the power of God's Word. I know I've moved quickly here because I want to focus 
a little more here on points two and three. Number two is this, the Word of God is used by the Spirit of God. The Word of God is used by the Spirit of God. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, God by His Spirit brings old truth home to the heart, and He gives new light to our eyes and causes the Word to exercise new power over us. But He reveals no new facts, and He utters no words in any man's ears concerning his condition and state. We must be content with the old revelation and with the life and power and force with which the Holy Spirit brings it to the heart. Neither must any of us seek to have any additional revelation, for that would imply that the Scriptures are incomplete. That helps us to understand some of the amazing power of God's Word, that it's not to be added to or taken away from. That God's Word, the sword of the Spirit, is everything we need it to be. It doesn't need to be any longer. It doesn't need to be any shorter. We don't have to adjust the angle of its blade. It is ready to go. It is exactly how God designed it to be. And when we start trying to fiddle with the sword and change the shape of the sword or take away from the sword or add to the sword, we now run into issues because we are now taking away the power of that sword. God, it's God's sword. He made it, and it's exactly how He wants it to be. We know this is true. It says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God-breathed, and it is profitable. It's helpful for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. We know that the Word of God is used by the Spirit of God. Letter A, the Word of God was inspired by the Spirit of God. We looked at 2 Timothy 3.16 and it's given by inspiration of God. But also 2 Peter 1.21 says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Stop with me for a second and think about this. The Word of God. This is not man's book. This is God's book. This sword was not designed by a bunch of really smart people. This sword was put together by God Himself. We know it's powerful. He tells us it's powerful. If you're saved tonight, you've experienced its power in your life. So many times we treat it as if it's not really what we say it is. The Holy Spirit has inspired this word. He's put this sword. He, he, if you're thinking in the analogy of an actual physical sword, He forged it for us. The great blacksmith who put it all together, that hit every hammer blow just right, that poured that steel out just how it needed to be, that has sharpened it up perfectly. What a great opportunity to use. You know, I, I don't know if you guys enjoy history. I I've enjoyed reading old books of the knights and the soldiers of days gone by. And remember, you've maybe read some of the stories of when a great warrior would pass his sword down to somebody else. This was a special honor. This was an incredible opportunity because often those swords were made so well. That's why they kept getting passed down because they had survived 
all the battles. And it was a special honor to receive the sword from your mentor or from your king or from somebody else. And God has given us his word passed down through the generations. It doesn't need to be added to. It doesn't need to be taken away from. It is inspired by God. It is exactly what you and I need. Don't neglect it. Don't let it sit on the shelf and gather dust. Get it out. Use it. Study it. Practice with it. And apply it to be able to win the spiritual battles that we face. The Word of God was inspired by the Spirit of God. Letter B, the Word of God is explained by the Spirit of God. Take your Bible if you have it there. I know I've been reading a lot of verses to you. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I want you to read this with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at verse 9. We'll read down through verse 13. Let's do this. I'll read verse 9, and then all of you read verse 10, and then I'll read verse 11. All of you read verse 12, and then we'll all read verse 13 together, okay? Verse 9. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. All together now, but God. Very good. Did you see that? The Holy Spirit searches out these things, even the deep things of God. It's the Holy Spirit that explains God's Word to us, that helps us to understand it. Verse 11 says, For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. All of you. And we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of Jesus God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us God. Isn't that interesting? A lot of people struggling to understand what's going on in the world around them. You might even struggle to understand what your neighbor's doing. That's what the verse. Who can even understand what a man's thinking except for that man, right? I thought that today when I was driving down the road. And I was there in the right lane waiting to turn right. And this guy is sitting at the front of the line in the right-hand lane waiting for the light to turn green so he can go straight. And there's five cars behind him all trying to turn right. I'm thinking, sir... If you knew you were going straight, there was nobody in the lane next to you. Why didn't you get over one lane? That would have made a lot more sense. Well, guess what? As soon as the light turned green, here he goes straight through the light. And as he gets to the other side, he changes lanes into the left lane. Oh, and I thought, some people don't know how to drive. And then all the rest of us turned right behind them. I had a lot of nice things I wanted to say to him, but I didn't. See, no man knows what's in the heart of a man <laughs> except the man himself. What was he thinking? I don't know. But does it feel that way with God sometimes too? God, what are you doing? I feel like I'm sitting here waiting to go this direction, and God, it seems like you've stopped me and I can't go forward. See, it is the Spirit of God that helps us to understand and explains to us the Word of God. 
so that we can continue to trust God even when what he is doing doesn't make sense to us at all. Verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. So when you got saved, you received the spirit of God. Remember Sunday we talked about the new nature inside of the old flesh, inside of the old body. That's the spirit of God that you've received. Why? So that now you can know the things that are freely given to us of God. Now you can have a better understanding of who God is and what God's work is in this world. Let's read verse 13 together. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. The Word of God, being used by the Spirit of God, helps us to better understand the will of God. If you try to live by the Spirit without the Word, you'll blow up. Yeah. If you try to live by the Word without the Spirit, you'll dry up. But if we live with the Word and the Spirit, we can grow up to be who He wants us to be. Think about that. There are some in some churches, some religions teach a lot on the Spirit of God, but there's not a whole lot of the Word of God. Everything they teach is not all bad because there are others that teach all of the Word of God but neglect the Spirit of God. And it's really not either end. Rather, we need the Word of God along with the Spirit of God. But the Word of God teaches, teaches us about the Spirit of God. So it's not one without the other. It's both working together to accomplish the work of God in our lives that's what we see in verse 13 which also things we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth but which the holy ghost teacheth this isn't something new that the holy spirit's teaching us he's teaching us the word of god comparing spiritual things with spiritual so we see the word of god is used by the spirit of god now i want to talk to you for just a few minutes about the problem of not using the word, the problem of not using the sword. We know the power of the sword. We know that the Holy Spirit uses the sword, uses the word of God. But what if you receive the spirit, you've received the word of God, you have the truth, but you neglect it. You don't use it. Well, there's a battle that we face every day. The battle of the flesh against the spirit. And God has given us two incredible sources or resources to give daily victory. We have the Holy Spirit of God and the inspired Word of God available to us as believers. The Christian life is impossible to live by human strength. But God calls us to live beyond our capacity. God has given us His Spirit within us and His Word before us. Now listen very carefully to this. The problem is not that the victory is too difficult or elusive. The problem is not that we are so weak or that our flesh is just so strong. The problem is not that the devil is so cunning and that temptation is so forceful. 
The problem is this, it's that our Bibles are unread, unused, and unstudied, and that the Holy Spirit is ignored and unwelcome. That's the problem. Because God has given us everything we need through His Word and by His Spirit to be more than conquerors. At our fingertips, we have the explosive power of God's Word. And just one breath away, we have the all-powerful Spirit of God. Yet for the love of sin and flesh, we hold them both at bay, forbidding the power of God to truly work in our lives. We lose our battles not because we cannot win, but because we will not win. Think about that. The reason you're losing spiritually is not because you can't win. God's given you everything you need for life and godliness. The reason you're losing is because you don't want to win. You're not using the tools that God has given to His children, the children of God. God doesn't send His children out to be losers, right? God hasn't put you out to lose. Imagine if David had not flung the stone at Goliath. Or if Joshua had not led the march around Jericho. Imagine if Noah had not boarded the ark. Or if Gideon had not blown his trumpet. Imagine if Peter had not cast his net on the other side. Or if Naaman had not dipped himself the seventh time in the Jordan River. Imagine if Daniel had not tested the prince of the eunuchs. Or if Elijah had not called on God. All throughout Scripture, we see God's people by faith using the power He places before them. And as a result, God brings the victory. All of these men and women had to be willing to take the weapon that God had given them and put it to good use. They had to take the step of faith to trust in God. What was David trusting in when he flung that stone? Was he trusting in his ability to fling stones really well? No. Because we know that from David's own words. Because when Goliath blasphemed against God, what did David say? Who is this man that he would speak against an almighty God? When Daniel and his friends went to the prince of the eunuch, they had already purposed in their heart not to defile themselves with a portion of the king's meat. When Peter cast his net on the other side, he was trusting in the Jesus who had, who had helped him to walk on the water and, and he trusted in Jesus' word when Jesus said, cast your net on the other side. So he did what Jesus said. I've been doing a study on, in the mornings. We just started this week in the book of Joshua. In Joshua chapter 1, God comes to Joshua after the death of Moses and he tells him, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And he says, every place that your foot steps on will be the land that I give to you and your people. He says, it's time to go over the Jordan River and possess the land, to take the land. Think about this, though. Joshua had already been over the Jordan River once. Remember, when he and Caleb and the other ten, the, the bad spies, the ones who doubted God, went over to Jericho and spied it out? Forty years prior to this, 
I was thinking about this. How many times in 40 years had Joshua and the rest of the children of Israel wandered past the Jordan River again? Thinking, if we'd have just gone over. And yet, then God comes to Joshua and says, it's time. But do you remember what he says to Joshua? He says, I'll be with you. I won't leave you. But then he says, only be thou strong and very courageous. And he says, observe to do according to all that is written therein. See, God's given us his word. God's given us his spirit. But the problem is if we just take it and we fail to do what it says, we're not using the sword of the spirit. And that's why so many Christians are losing. They're losing because they're not using what God has given them to do. You say, well, how do I use it? Well, I'm going to give you some practical points here in our final, uh, in, in number four there in your notes. But before that, let me read to you one verse from Ezekiel 33, verse 31 and 32. I think we have that on the screen. There it is. And they came unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words. Listen to what Ezekiel says. They hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love. Oh, we love to hear the word of God. But their heart goeth after their covetousness. I mean, I was reading this, and you go, that's Ezekiel. That's really old. That sounds exactly like the Christian church in America today. They, they, they love to hear the word of God. But their heart goeth after their own covetousness. And, and it says, And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For we like to hear God's word. We, we, we love it. But it says, For they hear thy words, but they do them not. They do them not. Folks, you may know the Word of God. You may have even studied the Word of God. But if you don't use the Word of God, if you never take it out of its sheath and put it, employ it into fighting the spiritual battles that you face every day, you will not experience spiritual victory. Amen. Joshua had to obey God's Word. He had to do, observe to do. In the Great Commission, Jesus commanded us to teach them to observe. That means to know and to do all of the Word of God. Daily spiritual victory is within your reach, but you must act in faith and actively engage the battle by His Spirit and with His sword. All right, so quickly here. Got six things. How, learning to use the sword, learning to use the sword. So you've heard the scripture, you've heard the word of God. So, all right, I understand. I need to use it. I need to not neglect it. So how do I do that? Number one, desire the word. Develop a hunger for it. How do you develop a hunger for the word? By consuming more of it. Somebody say, well, I just don't like that. You know, well, I don't like peas or I don't like Brussels sprouts, or I don't like this, or I don't like that. But I've learned in time as I've gotten older, if things are properly prepared and properly seasoned, 
you can actually make some things physically that you don't like taste much better. Now, here's the wonderful thing. Word of God's far better than Brussels sprouts and peas and lima beans and anything else vegetable-wise that you don't really like. The Word of God has many wonderful things in it. But you need to eat more of it. 1 Peter 2.2 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby. I think your desire grows as you understand that the Word of God is where you get your source of nourishment. But the, Lord, the world would love to fill you up with junk food and make you feel like you're full. But what happens when you eat a lot of junk food? You get sick to your stomach in time. Now, some of you still have young stomachs and you can survive that. Don't worry. It's now coming upon me. I can't do that anymore. Why? Because we need good, nourishing food. And spiritually speaking, if you're ever going to grow to maturity, you need to stop living on the junk food of this world and begin to consume the truth of God's Word. Desire the Word of God. Number two, study the Word. Study the Word. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. See, these are things that will help you grow in maturity and understanding. These are things that if you start doing them now, you may not see any change in your life immediately. Just like if you went out tonight and said, I'm going to eat a healthy meal before bed, you may wake up in the morning and still feel sick to your stomach. In fact, you might even feel more sick to your stomach because you haven't been eating healthily, right, if all of a sudden you changed. Spiritually speaking, if you're going to desire the right things and study the Word of God, it's not always fun and enjoyable when you get started. But it's understanding where the nourishment, the spiritual health that you need comes from. Desire it, study the Word. Number three, memorize the Word. I'm not going to put anybody on the spot, but what if I were to say tonight, hey, somebody quote for me a verse that you memorized in the last month. How many of us would be able to do that? Memorize the Word. We're good at memorizing things. Sometimes it takes us a while. But put God's Word in front of you and keep repeating it over and over, and you can memorize it too. Whether it's, as it happens at my house, a 3 by 5 card on the mirror next to where I brush my teeth in the morning, and I can say that verse as I'm brushing my teeth, or at least think that verse, because me talking while I'm brushing my teeth is not a great sound, but you know what I'm saying, repeating that over and over, or whether it's putting God's Word there's all kinds of Bible memory apps you can put on your phone or you can just do it the old-fashioned way and open up your Bible and, and read the same verse over and over and memorize it. Memorize the Word. Psalm 119.11 says, Thy Word have I hid in mine heart. That's to treasure in our hearts that I might not sin against Thee. Blessed art Thou, O Lord, teach me Thy statutes. And letter D there in your notes, hear the Word. Hear the Word. What are you putting into your mind through your ears? Hear the word. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Paul says this, Because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Hear it. 
Paul was praising the church at Thessalonica because they listened to the truth. They listened to the word of God. And they didn't just treat it as, ah, that's Paul's words. Ah, Paul's talking again. No, he said, this is the word of God. How do you respond when you hear God's word? Letter E, meditate upon the word. Meditate. Think through it. Think on it. Mull it over and over and over. Some have used the illustration of a cow chewing its cud. Others have used the illustration of like examining a precious stone from every possible angle to try to really appreciate and enjoy its beauty as the light reflects off it in different ways. Joshua 1.8, This book of the laws shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein. How often? Day and night. That thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. I remember several years ago, several is getting to be a lot more than three now when I say that, but uh, several years ago when I was meditating on Psalm 23, verse 1, that says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. As you meditate even on that one verse, the Lord, who is the Lord? What has He done? What is He able to do? And the Lord is. What does that mean? That means He's right now, He's present and he's my shepherd. He's, what's a shepherd and what does it mean that he's my shepherd? He's, he's a personal shepherd. Even just talking to you about that, I get goosebumps. He's my shepherd. And because he's my shepherd, the rest of the verse says, I shall not want. Take some time to meditate on those verses that maybe you've known for a long time and just stop and think through again who God is and what He's done for you. Meditate upon the Word. And then finally tonight, obey the Word. Obey the Word. So because, we'll take that example, Psalm 23, 1, because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, then what should I do? What does God want me to do because He's my shepherd? Do you think He wants you to trust in Him? Do you think He wants you to follow Him? Do you think He wants to listen to Him? We could go on. God's Word is full of things that He wants for us to do. You must obey the Word. And as you allow the Holy Spirit to engrave His Word into your heart and to change your life, you become, the Bible describes it this way, like a living epistle or a walking Bible. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 2 and 3 say this, Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men, for as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy, fleshly tables of the heart. Isn't that incredible to think about that 
God's Word could have, through the Spirit of God, could have such an impact and make such an imprint into your life that the way you live, what you say, what you do, the way you conduct yourself becomes like a letter from God to other people that God uses to point them to Christ. Pretty amazing to think about. If your life was a book, would reading it help anybody else to get to Jesus? Or would reading it cause them to go away from Him? He says, as the Word of God through the Spirit of God continues to do His work and engrave itself on our life, we become that living epistle. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? When people read the book of your life, what are they reading? What are they thinking? Say, well, it's pretty bad. I don't know what to do. I'll tell you. Number one, desire the Word. Number two, study the Word. Memorize the Word. Hear the Word. Meditate upon the Word. And then obey the Word. The people in your house that live with you are the ones reading the book of your life more than anybody else. The people that you go to work with or that you spend time with at school, those are people that are reading the book that is your life. What are they reading? You might be the only Bible some people ever read. What are they reading? What are they learning? If you don't like it, if it's not lined up with this Bible, with the Word of God, then you have work to do. Here's the reality. We all have work to do. Even if you say, well, I'm doing pretty good, there's always things we can improve on because we haven't arrived. Because while it is possible to experience spiritual victory in our life, the struggle is still real. So if we're going to win and begin to win and continue to grow in our victory spiritually, we must employ the sword of the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. It is so powerful. So many times it's neglected. The devil would like to distract, give you other things that seem more interesting, more easily understood. The devil would like nothing less than for those who claim to be in the Lord's army to be unarmed and unable to fight. Lord, as we look around us, there are Christians struggling, wounded all around on the battlefield of life. And even as we look at our country, I think we would have to say that at this point, we even seem to be losing the battle. Lord, we know that you will always win in the end. Lord, as Christians, we haven't done a very good job. And I think it's because we've failed to employ the weapon that you've given us, the sword of the Spirit. May we recommit ourselves to you and to your word, to its truth. May we study it and learn to use it effectively in the spiritual struggle that we all are faced with every day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.